What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to Experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Hey, Geekscapists. Welcome to our brand new Geekscape podcast. I'm Jonathan London, your host. And if this is your first Geekscape, well, strap yourselves in for some pop culture talk. Movies, video games, comic books, TV, all of the pop culture facts and conversation that you can fit under the hood. Uh, I've loved doing Geekscape in the 2024. I think we've had two episodes so far, mainly talking about the big comic book releases, right? We had an Aquaman movie over the break. We had the, this new Marvel series, The What If, which I loved. Uh, but that didn't stop those of you who maybe hadn't even watched that stuff to be a part of it. So I've really loved the feedback, either on Facebook or on Twitter or Instagram. We've been doing the Instagram live while we've been recording this. So if you're watching on Instagram, tell me if you dig that or not. Um, and let me know if it, I don't have to be doing it, right? I just f- figure there's a lot of people on the Instagram and they're like, oh, Jonathan's going live and they check out uh, Geekscape. And if you guys want to hear the full episodes, just subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We're 100% free and I've been bringing this stuff for 18 years and I've loved it because it's allowed me to meet so many amazing filmmakers. I've got one on the show right now. Uh, he's coming up in a bit. His name's Mickey Rapkin. He was, uh, he's, an, he's, he's a writer. He began as a journalist. He wrote some books. He wrote a little thing called Pitch Perfect. Maybe it became a very successful series of films. Uh, we're definitely going to talk about that. And I met him a little over a year ago as he was uh, beginning a foray as a director. He was getting uh, behind into the director's chair to film uh, a short that is now on the shortlist for an Academy Award for Best Short, and it's called The Anne Frank Gift Shop. Um, Mickey's going to come up and talk to me about it in a bit. Uh, but I bring up you guys reaching out to me either on jonathangeekskip.net or through the DMs uh, because I love the feedback from those of you. Uh, and even again, even in it's sort of like y'all didn't watch like Aquaman 2 or what if, you don't need to be watching all the stuff. I can't watch everything. Um, it doesn't stop you guys from, from jumping in and checking out the stream or checking out the podcast. I got an amazing message last week uh, after we finished with Garrett. Um, and he says, because hey, we didn't just talk about what if season two, like, I don't know if I was, I'd be capable of just talking about what if season two, we talked a lot about filmmaking and storytelling as well. And uh, JC said, Hey man, caught some of the show tonight. Really enjoyed some things you guys were talking about, especially when uh, Garrett was talking about struggles to be the man, not a man, right? Like the, the the idea that this is a horse race, that being a filmmaker or a writer or being a success in your field is, it, you know, it's not just you. You don't have to be the man. Uh, and exploring different avenues to tell your stories, it all pretty much struck a chord with me factoring some of the projects I have percolating in early 2024. So thank you, uh, JC. Uh, yes, I think that was a very vulnerable conversation. I think it was awesome. Y'all learned a little bit about some of the uh, dips I had last year during the strike. That was pretty hard. Um, but that is what this is about. Geekscape isn't just about talking pop culture. We want to talk. Uh, we want to make sure that you know that you are also a part of this fabric of storytelling. I, I think I think pop culture, these stories just give us context for our lives, right? Like you ever read a sci-fi story or watch like Star Trek or something and you're like, whoa, that resonates with me, even though it's absolute fiction. Y'all know that. Y'all, y'all get that. And Geekscape is just a place where we can share some of those things and say, hey, knock, knock, knock. I'm, I'm talking to your ears right now. If you're maybe at work or something, or maybe you're on a run or something, and you're listening to Geekscape as a podcast. Tap, tap, tap. I'm tapping on the microphone. I'm tapping on the camera. Um, that is why I do Geekscape to, to connect with you. Uh, I want y'all to connect with each other. Maybe it's on our Facebook or on, on our socials or whatever. Uh, maybe it's in person at like Comic-Con or something. And I also want you to connect with with creators. I, I want creators uh, to tell their stories so that y'all feel like maybe you're on the right track in, in your journey through the geek sphere. Uh, it, this is not just let's talk about Wolverine. <laughs> okay. Like I cannot do that. Uh, and and that, that becomes very lonesome. And it's not a race to be a know-it-all. I I'm not the know-it-all. 
So JC, thank you for that message last week. It, it made me happy. It made Garrett happy that you resonated, that he resonated with you. Uh, and um, speaking of projects in 2024, I raced from a meeting uh, with Film San Antonio and they were so nice. They gave me a lot of gifts. I'm just going to show them to you right now. Um, I'm from Austin, of course. You all know that if you listen to Geekscape and Film San Antonio found me somehow and they're like, hey, we heard you wanted to make a movie in Austin uh, because it ended up on a screenwriting award list or something. And uh, I got some awards for a script I wrote to be based in Austin. And they were like, what's up with that movie you wanted to do in Austin? Could you make it in San Antonio? And they, so I'm just real quickly, I'm going to tell you how they bribed me. Okay, they got me a hat. This is Film San Antonio. That, that hat's awesome. All right, that's cool. Um, they told me all about their incentives. They can give you a lot if you film in San Antonio. They are not sponsoring this program. I just thought that Kim and Stacy were incredibly nice. Uh, they got me a visit San Antonio glass. It's an hour and a half from my parents' house. You don't have to ask me twice. I love San Antonio. They got me... Holy crap, they know I'm a nerd. Look at this. They got me a, what looks like a dice bag with dice. So they know that I'm going to use that in D&D or something. Um, and some sunglasses. Sunglasses. When I'm walking around San Antonio, I got to look cool. They got me a fan. I think that's a fan. I'm not going to open it on the air. It's either a fan or a small umbrella. A pen. A bunch of stuff. But Film San Antonio. Uh, I will tell you this, Film San Antonio. Uh, getting, I don't know how y'all found me. You found me because you were like, oh, this guy's a media and a filmmaker. We should meet with him when we're in town and film San Antonio. I'm glad you did because I immediately went to an, that old script that I have not opened in five years. And I said, could this work in San Antonio? And then I sent it to an actor. <laughs> I was like, hey, read the script. Tell me if it resonates with you. And maybe I rewrite it a little bit and update it and change it to San Antonio. <laughs> <laughs> your move austin texas <laughs> your move um but like i said like uh jc you wrote me and of course we're going to talk to mickey about his journey and storytelling uh we are not in this alone like we're in this together and uh I've, i enjoy this so much uh again it's hard for me to consume some of this stuff uh i did i saw the holdovers from the time you heard me last I, I i watched the holdovers i thought it was amazing and it's humbling and i was like alexander payne's movies with this script it's fun, fantastic and it immediately made me go ah that script i turned in last week it's not good enough <laughs> too late now too late now uh you, sometimes you just gotta you just gotta move forward no all the time you know what correct that all the time you just gotta move forward so let's move forward with geekscape you know how we do it here. Uh, I'm going to throw a little theme song on you. Hang tight. We'll be right back with potentially Oscar nominated. We're going we're gonna to cross our fingers. We're going to go and watch this short. We're all going to put the good vibes out in the ether. We're rooting for them. And we're going to come back with uh, shortlisted for the Oscar. Uh, Mickey Rapkin. All right, Geekscapists, we are live, and uh, Mickey's in the wings, and he asked me for the show. He's like, should I wear my glasses, not wear my glasses? There's a little bit of a glare on his uh, computer. You can kind of see it when you wear the glasses. I'm going to wear my glasses to make Mickey feel better. These are the film San Antonio glasses that I just got. Just kidding. I'm... <laughs> you wanna, if you'd like to sponsor this space on Geekscape, <laughs> uh, feel free. Email me, Jonathan at Geekscape.net. All right, let's bring Mickey in here, and let's talk to him about all things potentially oscar nominee all right mickey i feel like i just saw you like last night we were there at the museum of tolerance and we were screening your wonderful film man thank you for being there and thanks for having me on the show dude mickey a little over a year ago uh december 2022 we were shooting this short you, you were directing it you were writing it and I was in charge of just doing a behind the scenes, interviewing you, cutting the thing together. That's up on the reboot studios, YouTube. Uh, 
I did you think that we'd be talking in January, a little over a year later, about you being shortlisted for an Academy Award? No, no, I did. <laughs> I absolutely did not. I was just hoping to get through our shoot without anybody getting COVID. <laughs> yeah, I was it not was, thinking you know, about awards. But what I love about it, and uh, what I what excited me about the about the short was the cast, because because Mickey don't be offended but i was like mickey rapkin i had to like google i was like oh my god he wrote the the, the book that pitch perfect's based on oh my god he he's, he was like an editor-in-chief for like a major publication cool he's written some cool books has he directed before so i so i showed up and i was like okay let's watch this you know i had to watch a little bit of it to start getting the vibe for the behind the scenes footage and, and to interview you I had to do some research uh i thought you were awesome that's... And and what I heard coming from the monitors of like the dialogue and stuff, I hadn't, re- I did not read the script. I didn't see the sh- the full thing I'm, until I'm the short was finished. You, glad you did your homework. I was like, this dude is the only person I met prior was Seth Myers. Met him years ago. Josh Myers. Josh. Oh, Josh Myers. Josh yeah. Myers. Uh, sorry. Um, he and his brother look very much alike. They have they very do. similar mannerisms, but uh, only one yeah. of them played a fawn in. Was it even one of those like parody fantasy movie parodies of a fantasy movie? He played like a fawn or something like a Narnia pan- fantasy. I don't know, but I will parody take thing. Your word. Um, but it was good. To, you know, I'm sitting here going, "Oh my god, you've got some heavy hitters as part of this short film." No, we like got immediately. That's the first thing I noticed. It was like, "Oh my god, recognizable cast is in the short film." No, we had we we got so lucky with this cast. Unbelievable. Um, yeah, I mean, we it's the first member to join the cast was Jason Butler Harner from Ozark played agent Petty in the first two seasons. I had an in with him because he happens to be my husband. <laughs> so he uh, had to do it. I highly recommend um, marrying your favorite actor and uh, as a very long con to eventually put them in something. Um, and then we sent it to Ari Grainer, who is, you know, so great on I'm dying up here and Mrs. America. She's, she's happens to be a friend. And she said she would do it. I, I couldn't believe it. You know, she she read it and said, I think this is funny and this is a story worth telling. Yeah, yes, I'll do it. Um, and then we sent it to Chris Perfetti from Abbott Elementary. And he was busy. You know, these people are busy. Uh, he was shooting Abbott and they were in the midst of Emmy campaigns and all these things and photo shoots. And he took the time to do it. Um, I, I just, I, I'm... Uh, it was an embarrassment of riches, you know? I was just so lucky. Uh, Kate Burton, nominated for a Tony for Hedda Gabler. She came to play with us. Josh Myers. And then Mary Beth Barone, this young comedian who was... She's hilarious. She's so funny. I'd seen her, um, a casting director. You know, I knew everybody else in the cast more or less, and somehow. But that last part, um, casting this young influencer, I just... I didn't, I don't know a lot of young people. Uh, anyway, so a casting director friend sent me Mary Beth Barone clips. She was on, um, she'd been on Jimmy Fallon doing stand up, and she was just so funny and so alive. And she read the script. She said she would do it. Uh, I just, um, yeah, I was just so lucky. Well, first off, congratulations because y'all, I cutting the, the behind the scenes together, I watched the short. And I immediately texted Noam and, and I said, dude, this short is awesome. And this is, when was I working on that? Over the summer, maybe? Yeah. I was like, dude, this this is awesome. This short is really good. And he's like, yeah, no, it's good. And I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> no. This short is very, very good. Uh, the writing. Let's let's just talk about the writing. Um, yeah, we, should, we should tell people uh, We should tell people what, what it it's is. about. Um, yeah, th- this is the Anne um, Frank gift shop, folks. And it's yes. shortlisted for the short form live action Oscar. It's, um. So yeah, it's called the Anne Frank gift shop and it's a dark comedy that imagines this meeting between the Anne Frank house and this New York design firm they've hired to help them renovate the gift shop to appeal to young people. Um, It's a very dark comedy as it says on the poster, but it grew out of a really disturbing academic study from 2020 that showed a shocking lack of knowledge um, among young people in the United States uh, and, and their knowledge of the Holocaust. You know, the two thirds of young Americans couldn't tell you how many Jews were killed in the Holocaust. 
11% of respondents believed Jews caused the Holocaust. It, it was frightening. You know, it made international news. And I was trying to think of a, I wanted to make a short film. What would it be about? Uh, I wanted it to, uh, important is the wrong word, uh, but I wanted it to say something. And I and I, and I hit upon this this idea of the Anne Frank gift shop. Yes, so that's what it's about. <laughs> Didn't Justin Bieber go to the Anne Frank house and come out and say something like, "If Anne Frank were alive today, she'd be a believer," or something he, that's just a little did, cringy? That's exactly. What like, he said. yes. What the? It, it just exactly it, there's just a collective "What the f, dude? What are you talking <laughs> about?" But it shows this dissonance, right? I, In I, the I'm generational a, yeah. gaps. Listen, I no knock on Bieber. No, love, I, love I, the, I too love the music. Um, it's uh, young people. It's uh, listen. It's I like we say in the short. Uh, young people have access to tragedy in their pocket. You know, twenty four hours a day, they can see the worst thing you could ever imagine. And in many ways, they're now desensitized to the horrors of the Holocaust and the horrors of many other things just because they, you, this is not a thing I'm inventing. This is scientists have studied this. They call it empathy fatigue and they just, young people have a hard time processing horror because they, they really have so much access to it anyway. Um, so it becomes a challenge. Um, there's no knock against young people. It becomes a challenge to reach them. So, uh, this short uses dark comedy to disarm these young people, you know, and then once they're laughing, you are able to sneak in this message, the message of the film, which is we need to keep telling the story again and again and again, or it will happen again. And Mickey, did you think that, and sadly, October 7th, and, I, and we can talk as much or a little as about October 7th as you yeah. want, because it is a hot effing topic and yeah. we all have friends on both sides of this thing and there are good and bad actors on both sides of this thing and it is it is multifaceted this is not a binary issue but could you imagine horrifically that like your short would have that level of resonance no it's crazy over, i mean we, we, like, sh like, we shot this thing uh long before that the events of october 7th and you know it's funny i've been doing these interviews and people have said like you know Wow, isn't it amazing? Your film is so timely. No, and it's I'm not like, amazing. It's horrifying. No, it's horrifying. Like it's awful. Um, but it also goes to is, the point of the short that, like, what I say is the film is arriving at a time where the world is reminded of the stakes. And, and listen, I grieve. I, this is not really the forum where I want to get into this, but like yes. I grieve. Talk about Superman. I grieve for innocent lives. Yes, I, I'm horrified um, by what I'm seeing. Uh, it's yeah. I just I I feel like saying we pray for peace is like uh, kind of an embarrassing thing to say, but like I'm telling you, I pray for peace. Yeah. It, the simplifications that we see coming out of something like this may be part of the desensitization that we talk about, the, the empathy fatigue, in that some of these horrors are so in, insane and unimaginable that you have to simplify them into just uh, little sayings or something that goes on like almost like, a, like on a poster board at a rally or a bumper sticker, or, because it's almost impossible to comprehend and when we made our documentary doc of the dead for epics years ago about zombie mm. the, the thing that i really loved and wanted to research and some of it's in the movie some of it's not uh because there's it's two hours you, you can there's only so much you can fit in the film um for me it, something that simon Pegg said was that the zombie was a metaphor for death and that led me down the the in alexander like down this path of like Oh my God, we are a traumatized society. We love The Walking Dead because we have seen everything from 9-11 to Katrina to multiple tsunamis or war on terror. You know, our own politicians were telling us there's a war on terror. This 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 broad generality. <laughs> Who knows where it's coming from? Uh, and we couldn't actually 
collectively think about it in, in any way that we could comprehend. So something, and I talked about it a little bit in the intro Geekscape is the whole thing about why we love pop culture and metaphor. I think the zombie for us was we, we were into the zombie because we were going through a collective trauma and we were trying to wrap our heads around a survival instinct that was being forced upon us by the imagery. You see the trauma in your pocket where you're seeing nine 11, Katrina, you're seeing the war on terror. You're seeing these things happen globally and immediately into it's going right into your eyeballs through your phone uh, or through your TV. And you have to almost tap out and say, I'm going to watch the walking dead and think about what I would do if everybody was a zombie and maybe I'll go to Costco or maybe I'd hide in the walls of my home or maybe I would become a cannibal or I don't know what I would do. Uh, and I think that uh, sadly, this is something that we, we face and, and maybe our brains aren't evolving at the pace that our, high speed yeah. ethernet is throwing this stuff at us, but um, the solution is collective, I believe. And yeah. it's, and it's empathetic, I believe. And again, it's, it's a little bit of what I said at the beginning is like Geekscape is like, I do this show not to tell you guys that I know everything about Spider-Man. You know, um, I do know a lot of useless stuff about pop culture, but, uh, and I don't do this show to, to show you guys that my opinion on, the latest MCU release is the best or most informative. We, I do this because I think it's important f- for you to listen and know that you're not alone in this and to meet people like Mickey who are sympathetic and think about these things and also want to open roads of accessibility through his talents, which are humor, writing, being able to see something and add some level of poignancy through his perspective. Where did that begin for you, Mickey? Where did you start writing? Um, where did I start, like creative writing? Yeah, I mean, I've been, I've always been, I've been, I've always been a writer. Kid, I um, I, uh, I've always been um, I, I don't know. I started writing in, in in high school in the school paper. I mean, no one wants to care. Who cares about that? No, but it was journalism. Um, yeah, like, I mean, why, I was, uh, why was yeah. it? Why was it journalism, and why wasn't it creative writing? Does that make sense? That's what I'm I mean, getting I to. Is like, is like because not... Anne Frank gift shop is creative writing. These are fictional yeah. characters in a fun I was, kind of. Um, why journalism? I, I guess because it was a job. Like you can't apply to be a creative writer. Um, you can. You get rejected a lot. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I don't. There's not not a lot of jobs for that. Um, mm-hmm. So I was a journalist, you know, I was a journalist for, I still am a journalist. Um, I worked um, at two magazines in New York for a long time. Uh, it was a career, you know. Uh, and you was, did that in college as well, like the college yeah. paper. You were that person who's like, oh, I'm putting up the stories in the college paper. And yeah, I was wrote for the college about, paper. And Where I was that? To, I went to Cornell. <laughs> wrote for the, oh, there's nothing the, to do in Cornell. That's the Ivy that everybody's <laughs> like, there's nothing... I, I, no, you wanted to go to Penn and Columbia. I went to Penn and Columbia, and there was, you're in a city with people. No, Cornell, I wanted, we, made, uh, we made fun of the Cornell trees. kids. I wanted, you wanted trees. a cow tip, is what you did. You wanted and, to go uh, knock cows over <laughs> in the middle of the night. I wanted, uh, yeah, trees and uh, a quad and uh, that sort of classic college experience, uh, which I had. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I wrote for the school paper there, and. Um, I mean, the truth is, if we're really like getting into this. It the kind of all comes acapella music. Um, <laughs> that is the most IV answer because ever. Because <laughs> I said my, I would say my formative college experience. I guess if I had two of them, would be the school paper and singing in an acapella group. So, mm-hmm. um, which I mean, going back to your point of nothing to do in Ithaca, New York, um, that. May or may not be true, but one of the things that people do is go to acapella concerts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought Penn had like nineteen of them. I was like, Penn, okay, had, Penn has a lot. Um, had, oh, Cornell has a ton. <laughs> um, but it was—I uh, mean, it was—it was incredibly fun. You know, I was in this group, and we sold out this—you know—two thousand-person concert hall on campus, and people would stop us in the campus store. Like, I don't want to say we were like campus celebrities, but people knew people turned up for our shows. Like it was really, say that. we really fun. We recorded albums. I think, and we took road trips together. It was that thing. You were a campus celebrity. 
I think this, the Mask and Wig kids at Penn were the campus celebrities, <laughs> I believe. Remember Mask and Wig? Of course, I know Mask and Wig. Yeah, of course. those guys were those guys. Um, everybody was like, "Oh my god, that guy's in, ma- in Mask and Wig." Mask and Wig. I remember one of the Mask and Wig kids was putting on a was directing a production of Best Little Horror Best Little Horror in Texas. Yep. And they lost some a member, and somebody came up to me. and was like, "Jonathan, you're funny. We we want you in the cast." I didn't audition. If they had auditioned and had, I can't sing. I like oh hid in the back and mouth. I like mouth things in the back. That's hilarious. The speaking stuff, fine. That was yeah. funny, but the singing stuff. I remember I tried singing once at a rehearsal, and this girl walked up to me and she goes why don't you pick a key and stick to it or something like that? <laughs> I, I don't know how to sing. <laughs> um, so I, so wow. I, I just mouthed everything in the background. <laughs> I played were, they, needed a, they needed a handsome warm body. There you were. <laughs> no, but it was handsome then. Yeah. A million years later, when I was working at GQ, uh, a book agent called and he was said, I, you know, I really like your writing in the magazine. You should write a book. Have you ever thought about writing a book? And I said, no. But the only thing I've ever, the only thing I want to write a book about is college acapella groups. And he was not impressed. He uh, <laughs> thought it was a horrible idea and said to come up with something else. So I put some other ideas together. And to his credit, he said, you know, if this is really the thing you want to write about, let's try it. So I mm-hmm. pitched uh, a nonfiction book about acapella groups where I would follow three acapella groups on the road for a school year and write about their adventures because I knew the world was funny. You know, I knew all these random celebrities had sang in these acapella groups when they were in college and that there were, you know, 1200 groups across the United States. And, you know, there were, anyway, I knew that it would be funny. So I still, I kept my day job and I would travel on the weekends following these three groups. Um, it was it was like an insane schedule. I feel like I did it at the last moment where I was like young enough to do it, um, mm. like physically young enough to, you know, leave on a Thursday night, fly somewhere or drive somewhere to meet these kids. Yeah, this wasn't Fast then, Times at Ridgemont High, right? Like when I think when, no, when I, Fast Times at Ridgemont yeah. High, he passed as a high school student. <laughs> no, right? I was definitely not passing as a college yeah. student, but I was I didn't look like a narc, you mm-hmm. know, <laughs> like, yeah, you were cool. Uh, I could hang out. I was, I and, don't know, I would not say I was cool, but I was there. Um, yeah. And it was, it was, it was amazing. You know, I went on spring break with them and I was in the recording studio with, it was anyway. And one of the groups that I followed was an all female group from Oregon who had gotten to the finals of this competition. Everyone thought they were going to win. Uh, they didn't win. They went back to school kind of bummed out. Everybody graduated except these two girls. And they were like, we're going to restock this group and we're going to come back and win um, because no female groups had won before. So the book came out. I was still writing the book and I get this phone call. My agent forwards me an email. He's like, do you want to have lunch with Elizabeth Banks? She's like heard about the book proposal and thinks it would make a good movie. And I was like, hell yeah, I want to have lunch with Elizabeth Banks. And I had lunch with her. She's like, I love this idea. She went to Penn. She knew acapella groups. She, she was already she did. already interested in she was already interested in that world. She was just looking for source material so somebody could go write this thing. And she's like, I laid it out exactly what she's like, it's gonna be bring it on for acapella groups. I was like, great, let's do it. I was like, we hug goodbye. I'm like, I'm never gonna see this woman again in my life. <laughs> like I worked at GQ, people's things got optioned all the time, nothing ever happened with it. I was like I have a story now where I had lunch with Elizabeth Banks. Anyway, when the book came out, she took it to Universal. She and her husband, Max Handelman, they took it to Universal. They got Kay Cannon, who was writing on 30 Rock at the time, to write the script. Kay is a genius. I hung out with her. She pitched the opening scene, the vomit, the whole... I mean, it was like a dream. Like, everything these people said came true. Um, It was shocking. but I never would have dared to think about writing something like that on my own. I, I was just like a kid from Long Island who was like happy to have a job, like, and a 401k and have someone else pay my cell phone bill. You know, I was like not betting on myself, which is, I'm, I'm not judging myself by any means. I'm just sitting, I'm just explaining the story of like how yeah. this came to be. And 
I went to the set of Pitch Perfect. You know, they fl- when some, when a miracle like this happens, they fly you in, and there's that chair, you know, with the name of the movie on it. And, and this transportation guy, this van, picks me up at the hotel, and we they shot in Louisiana, and he's like, he was like a grizzled guy, you know. He was probably fifty, but he looked eighty. Like his skin <laughs> was like the complete leather. He's half alligator. Full, giving the full alligator, and yeah. he was like. Hey, like, what, you, what brings you to set? You know, I'm like, oh, I wrote the book that they, you know, inspired the movie. And he was like, man, we're, that's amazing. We're all pulling for this movie. We love these kids. And I was like, if this guy is pulling for this acapella comedy that's like, in theory, for teenage girls, I was like, this movie is going to be something. And I went back to my office at GQ and I wrote a script. I wrote, I was like, if, if this ever happens again, I, maybe I can write the script. And I wrote a romantic comedy, kind of loosely inspired on my life. And I sent it to a friend who was a manager, um, Chris Huvain, who I used to work with at GQ, who sadly um, is not with us anymore, oh. uh, but was a huge hero and champion of mine and a great friend. And he shared it with the people at Management 360 where he worked and I signed with them. And it, but I was, it was, uh, what can I say about it? It was a journey for me to quit my full-time job and like dare to do this thing. And Mickey, if, if that film happened or not, did you ever as Pitch Perfect picked perfect then picked up subsequent yeah. sequels did you did you get any writing on any of the sequels no i didn't i was spin-offs? a consultant i didn't write sure. on any of the movies sure no. consultant because when i'm sitting there watching you direct and i and i know you were nervous you told me or at least you were nervous but i thought yeah. you were great um hearing the words i honestly thought mickey uh i was like did i miss parts of my research because this guy is writing like a fantastic seasoned TV writer because in the, the in there's, there wasn't a lot of improv. I know from the, in the film, there was some stuff improv. Obviously if you have Josh Myers on set, there's going to be some improv. Yeah. If you have people from Abbott elementary, there's going to be some improv, but it just, the, the script just felt like it was following the rule of setup and payoff that you get mm-hmm. from a seasoned TV script on a comedy on a, on a, on a network comedy. And I, and I was like, this is, this is, I have something here. And then when I watched the completed short, I said, no, they have something here. No, I appreciate you saying it. I mean, I'd sold over the, like I continue to be a journalist and, Mm -hmm. but over the years also sold a handful of pilots that never got made and a couple of feature film scripts that were mostly comedies. Um, uh, this business, uh, it's impossible. This business it's impossible. is, it is impossible. I get and, happy and when I'm they telling send me you, sunglasses. They send I'm, me sunglasses and I'm like, oh, thank God it's, for, it's worth something. <laughs> I'm saying that as someone who already had a miracle happen in their life, okay? Like, you don't get someone like Elizabeth Banks and Max Handelman coming into your life, plucking you out of a cubicle, taking this thing, this book, and turning it into not just one movie, but three movies and a TV show. And not only did that happen, people love it around the world. And these producers kept me in the conversation and made yeah. me feel like I was a part of the family. Uh, I, I, so I've already had a miracle happen, like a true miracle. And then, and I'm still telling you this business is impossible. I, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, right before the pandemic and then into the pandemic, I was working on a TV show with uh, that I was writing, I, that I the producers were heroes of mine. It was based on a novel from a writer I love, and we got so close to making it. We sold it to Apple. They were making offers to actresses, like dream actresses. I had a Zoom with one. I, I was like, oh my God, we're going to make this show. I can't believe we're going to make this show. And then it fell apart. And it was... I mean, I went into a deep depression, okay? It, I was, felt so close to this thing that I'd wanted so badly. And it was, it, it was heartbreaking. I, I, I was like, I was like I, all the way, it was, 
I could, it was devastating. I, I got a therapist. I mean, it was, I was just so defeated. Um, mm-hmm. And in a way, it's what ultimately led to this short because I needed to take some power back. I was, mm-hmm. you know, you come to, I, I, you come to this town and you think, you think the phone's going to ring one day and someone's going to say, welcome to Hollywood. We're so happy to have you here. You know, like go make the thing you want to make. Like those phone calls just don't happen. You know, it, it doesn't work like that. And I drove Peter Bogdanovich around for weeks and I, he talked to me twice. And I think I've told the story of what he actually said when he talked to me. And I'll repeat it one day on the podcast Geekscape. Please subscribe. That's so funny. It, it made my fucking head spin. I was like, I have all the things that I, I thought this guy was like, going to be like, I fall in love with me. Right. Right. And you spend days with this guy, weeks with this guy. And you're like, oh, he can make a phone call and change my life. And you think maybe that's the way. Right. It, and it just doesn't. When he finally opens his mouth. I'm like, what the fuck did you just say? I'm sorry. But like I to this day, I'm like, what is happening? Yeah, it doesn't happen. If you're sitting around waiting for that phone call, it's going to change your life. It does. It's not going to happen. It's not what's going to happen. So, so I, directing was you giving I was yourself like, agency. Yes, I was like, I can't sit around anymore and wait for these gatekeepers to say yes and say it's your time. And I reboot studios was launching. They were looking for ideas that um, they wanted to tell Jewish stories, but in new and challenging ways. And I pitched them, they were giving out small grants, small investments, and I pitched them the Anne Frank gift shop. And they said, yes. So I got a small grant from them. I wrote the script, I researched it. I was happy with the results. I felt like I had something and I started to just put the pieces together. You know, I keep saying in these Q and A's, like making a short film, making any film is like a game of chicken. You know, you just keep saying out loud, oh yeah, we're shooting at the end of December. And you don't have the money and you don't have the cast and you don't have the location, but you're like, we're shooting at the end of December. So I reached out to a DP. She was a friend of a friend. Her name's Chloe Weaver. She was a DP on Hacks and Chef's Table and The Bear. She's amazing. And I sent sent her the script. She said, I think this is really funny. We had a coffee. I, I had a lookbook, you know, of like what I hoped it would look and feel like. We had a coffee together. She's like, I'll totally do this. I was like, oh my God, I can't, I can't believe this. So then I had Jason as a, in the cast. I had Ari. I went to Chris. I was like, hey, I've got this DP from Chef's Table. I, you know, these Ari and Jason are people you know and love and respect. They're going to do it. Anyway, I just start putting the pieces together. Then I go back to Reboot. I was like, okay, now I have this cast. We're and, cooking with fire. Yeah, yeah I got this cast now. and I have this DP. And it was almost like, I dare you to say no. Like you said you wanted to make these Jewish interesting jewish projects i need some more money they said let's okay. go cat nelson did you right. know david cat nelson, Kat nelson I, I, I knew before him. or no i knew him just and i know him. i met through this process noam runs reboot studios i yeah. really i met him when i applied with this project you guys have heard david, of one geekscape one yeah, of my closest david, friends david cat nelson who is the ceo of, i think the ceo of reboot I can, the founder, I can't remember i don't he, know he, he he's hilarious i love I'd david. met him only in passing um anyway they said okay we'll give you a little bit more of the money then i I was like okay if i have to pay for the rest of it myself i will it'll be painful but if i have to put the rest of it on a credit card i will because we found a location which came through a connection it was much less expensive like 10 percent of what the other locations cost yeah and i was like okay we have a date. It's this one weekend in December. I know the cast can all do it that weekend. If I blink, this project will fall apart. Yes. So if I have to pay for the rest of it myself, I will. Luckily, I didn't have to pay for the rest of it. I A, a friend introduced me to this uh, producer in New York, Jane Oster-Sinisi. She's the granddaughter of Holocaust survivors. She's produced a bunch of films. And I sent her the script. I sent her the lookbook. I was like, I... I would, I'm looking for financing, you know, can you help? And I was nervous. Like she's the granddaughter of Holocaust survivors. I'm sending her this script, the Anne Frank gift shop that has like a joke. It has a joke about like an escape room. 
Like yeah. the, the jokes yeah. are hard. Put it in escape room. In it. It's, yeah. If you haven't figured out at this point, <laughs> the, the movie is a hard comedy. Like it's comedy first. Yeah. Anyway, and she wrote me. She, she wrote me back, and she was like, "I think this is funny, and I think this has to be made and told." So she put up a third of the money. So we were a third, a third, a third, and I, I later got a I got a completion grant when the movie was done from the Jewish Film Institute. So I was, you know, I. But it just the, kept, the it's lesson, like you're laying the track as the train is coming, right. but you have the, to lay the track because exactly the train is doing. coming. Like yes. the lesson of this thing is like, people are always like, oh, you have to bet on yourself. And I'm like, what does that even mean? Uh, okay, sure. But like, it's expensive to bet on yourself and not everybody can do it. And I was lucky enough to be in a place where I had connections to actors. Listen, nobody, actors aren't showing up to do you a favor. Like, I mean, it was a favor, but they wouldn't have done it if it was bad. Like, right. And nobody Mickey, wants to be at that point. That is how you are betting on yourself. Does that make sense? Like everyone has their talents they can bring sometimes. Like it's like you, you look at the Avengers, Thor's a god, Captain America's a super soldier with the, the serum. What's Tony's power? I mean, he's brilliant, but Tony's rich. He's and rich. Exactly. sometimes the sometimes what people can bring is the money. You brought the talent, Mickey, and it doesn't happen without the talent. It doesn't happen without your writing. And then you had to step up, and this took bravery. Because you knew it was on the line. You knew that everybody was looking at you and you hadn't directed. Right. And that was you betting on yourself. So I don't want to hear none of this. You had to start a Kickstarter or you had to pull it into your savings to make this because you had to step up and be courageous and do something that you hadn't done before. You'd yeah. seen it done before, but you hadn't been the person in the shoes and the person that everyone's head swivels to when there's a decision to be made, everybody's and, and head swivels to you. It's, so it's, yes, and you did worked. bet on yourself, and I'm super proud of it. But I will—I don't want anyone to think that it was that I was cavalier about it or that it was easy. You weren't. Like I remember. Okay, listen. It was two shoot days, and we were on set. I made a lot of cuts in the editing room, okay? Sure. And a lot of the cuts in the editing room were from the first day of shooting because the, I, there was all the setup to the meeting that I realized was not necessary. And anytime it started to feel like an educational film, I was like, ugh, cut that, cut that, cut that. But I remember on the first day, we're on the set, and one, I think it was a sound, one of the sound guys, it, it, I don't remember exactly who, but a guy on the crew said to me, so is the Anne Frank house paying for this? And I was Whoa. devastated. I was like, oh my God, I'm making this, in my mind, I'm like, we're making this dark comedy. And this kid thinks like we're making like a PSA. Um, and I was like, oh my God, this was a disaster. Like nobody was laughing. Okay, listen. Based on the, I, based on the script being a bit info dumpy on uh, It was the, info dumpy uh, in the first yeah, half. Yeah. But also sure. like comedy... A lot of it comes together in the editing room, you know, yes. like the, in, react, in reaction shots. Yes, it's timing, reaction yes. shots, all this. So like it, we and Julia Louis, listen, I, I can't believe I, I'm going to tell a Julia Louis-Dreyfus thing in this. I in no way am in the, in the same universe as Julia Louis-Dreyfus. But I'm just going to say she gave this interview once about Veep. And people are like, oh, it must be so funny on set. Everyone's always laughing. And she was like, it's not funny. Like it's it's not it's work and painstaking you're getting the rhythm you're, you're getting everything in there like but it's not it's not a slapsticky thing anyway so on set there was not a lot of laughter also it's a lot of people staring at their phones like the scene is going and you know i'm looking at the monitor the whole thing and you look over and like people are just bored and on their phones and it was really like I, I there were moments that I saw on the screen where I that I were so funny to me, you know, where I'm laughing out loud. And then there's emotional moments in the movie too, where I came in to the room and I was crying. You know, I said to the actors, like, I want to do it one more time. We're looking for this and this, but I was crying. I was so moved. But the magic really comes together in the editing room. Uh, but that barometer that you have on set knowing what you had to collect as you go out, you know, I always think about a fisherman going out and he's like, I don't actually necessarily know what fish I'm going to get. 
<laughs> but I know I'm going to catch a bunch of stuff and when, and I'll, and I'll dice it up when I get home and see what, what I'm serving and yeah. see what, see what we're really making. Right. See what's biting. We got to see what's biting. We got to see what's out there. We got to adjust. And, and, and Mickey, you're, you're betting on yourself every time that you fall back on your barometer and ask people to do it again. Every time you ask them to trust you to do it again, that you don't have what you think you, you need, that is betting on yourself. Um, so I've, I've pounded that home. Mm. Um, this screening last night, you followed one of the most beautiful, powerful, mm. yet somber films I've ever seen. This is another short listed film by uh, Rita Basulto, Humo. In, in Umo, Umo is smoke in Spanish, H-U-M-O. And oh my God. Like, it was a, this it's, is a, it's a beautiful stop motion animation short. She worked on Pinocchio for Benicio del Toro, guys. She's from Guadalajara, and yeah, she's no joke. She's like won Holy the Mexican shit. Oscar. She, she's she's no joke. This movie, it's it's a sort of gut wrenching stop motion animation film told from the eyes of this young boy, like an eight year old boy, seeing who's in a concentration camp and is seeing this train going towards the smokehouse. And it's the, I'm so glad you were there to see it on a big screen. You know, I, I did a couple of, event, of events, a couple of joint screenings with Rita. Um, you know, when you, the short list is announced, you just have a couple of weeks to try to throw together some screenings and events to try to get voters there and try to get the word out. And I was scrolling through the, the list of the animated films. And I was like, oh my God, if we could do a screening together, like thematically, this would be amazing. You know, both of our films look at the Holocaust in surprising ways. But I'm, I had originally seen Umo on my phone and I, it was moving, but to see it on the big screen and the level of detail in the stop motion animation, it, 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 the movie is absolutely stunning. The eyes of these characters, Geekscapist, it's what I told Heidi, as I was driving home, Heidi called and said, how was the screening? And I said, everybody loved in Frank gift shop. Uh, and you had a tough, you had a tough gig because you're following up a very emotionally powerful. There's no levity in Umo. There's, there's innocence, but there's no levity. It is a sad, dour movie. And in, in the second it opens up and you see this little boy's eyes mm. and he said, we're going on, you know, and he compares the train that took him to the concentration camp. He said, this is the train, but not like the train that took us to the beach. Mm. And you're like, uh, I'm out. I mean, I honestly was like, I, could I don't cry think right I now. could, I don't think I can make it through the nine minutes of this. Yeah. And I said, I said, sweetie, just, you got to see the models that they made the these paper mache and rosin like, like models that they made for this, these miniatures, the eyes. I told her in Spanish, I was like, the, the little characters' butts are, are haunting me. Like the all of them, the I way they know. moved, everything is haunting about this. And then here comes the, the, with his the, comedy. But when the when the the boy starts crying, the way she did the tears welling up in the eyes for the for the it's mom awesome. and the boy, it, it was it was it's remarkable. But I Seek actually. It out, I actually was thrilled <laughs> to screen right after that. Obviously, we're a comedy. If so, you screen like, before that, you're dead. <laughs> no, yeah. No, I, I mean, think, you're not dead, I, but but you know what, what I mean? I like, like that that was the right order. <laughs> what I like about it is her film makes you see the Holocaust with fresh eyes. It's first of all, it's in Spanish, which you're not used to a Holocaust story in Spanish. So you're already sort of brain is reorienting. And then you're watching it through the eyes of this child and it's so gut-wrenching. So it's like that film sets up the stakes of the story. And then you cut to my film, this comedy, and you are, it's so fresh for you, mm -hmm. the Holocaust, that you're immersed in this room and in this conversation. And you're kind of like emotionally and intellectually engaged with the arguments that they're having um, in the Anne Frank gift shop. And Mickey, you kept us from just, I mean, I, I was so depressed after that. <laughs> I was so just, I was so moved. And so like, I don't know if I can take more of a beating. And there you are to like, give us a nice warm, like, yeah. Hey, I'm going to have, you know, your movie is poignant. I've described it as it's got some profound stuff in it. It, it, it shares the crucial message Geekscape is that we have to keep telling the stories mm. of the horrors that exist in this world uh, or risk repeating them as we've seen them repeated 
very, you know, recently. And we need to continue to educate each other and, uh, and keep talking about these things. And, and Mickey did it in a comedic way, which I think mm-hmm. is so hard and just shows how much skill you've got with words and with perspective and with the actors. And, uh, somebody on Facebook just said he was lovely on set. I cannot wait to see it in Geekscapist. That is where I come in and say that you can actually see it. Uh, if you're watching this live on GQ.com until January 16th. So if you're listening to this on the podcast, yeah, I hope you're listening to it within the first, um, week because, um, you're going to, uh, you're going to want to see it. Uh, if you're, this is why you should subscribe to Geekscape so you can listen to this as soon as it comes out, and and you're not going to miss it on GQ.com because you only got till the 16th. And now, and Heidi just called from the other uh, other room and said, uh, "That was my comment." So thank you, Heidi, for watching your husband's podcast. We also have Jim Pagranelli in New York saying, "Hey, I'm loving this discussion. I hereby petition you to name the show, rename the show, Deepscape." We've got uh, Mickey. I'm so happy. You had such a positive, wonderful Teamster experience. Uh, mm. Yes, Jim works. Uh, Jim Jim works in the office and works with a lot of. Uh, he's I think he works in the line production over there on big shows too. I think I I don't want to blow your stuff up, Jim, but I think you're working on Fallout, the new Fallout based on the video game that all the geekscapes know about. Mm. Uh, I work in film, TV production, and moments like that guy had with you are wonderful. In a reason, I work in the industry. And he's talking about the in, in, individual who asked if the Anne Frank gift shop paid for this. Yeah, but he, uh, in a way, was also being educated in a way. So it's a it's a beautiful experience. Yeah. Um, and Heidi jumps in to say, "Oh, hi, this is Heidi. Heidi, I love you. Um, thank you for everything." And in you know, speaking of significant significant others, it was amazing seeing Jason again yesterday. Yeah. He was a sweetheart, and I heard him speak some really incredible Spanish with Rita talking about her film. Yeah. And I was like, I love it. And he actually said, Mickey's Spanish is even better. So uh, all Spanish geekscape <laughs> coming up soon. We're going to do it. Um, and all, finally, I want to talk about who you had hosting last night. And yeah. I have not had Selma Blair on the, on the show, but I've had Doug Jones and Ron Perlman from the Hellboy franchise. Mm. They've done panels with me and Doug Jones is a longtime friend of the show. Uh, and they were in Hellboy with her, but I haven't had someone Blair on the show, but you had her uh, as a host of Austin's event. How'd that go down? It was, it was a dream come true. Um, This is not ruining the movie in any way to say this. There is a joke in the movie. Um, Selma Blair is mentioned in the movie. You know, she, she recorded the audio book. For the diary of, for the diary of a young girl, which we call you know the diary of Anne Frank, it's called the uh, the diary of a young girl. Um, and Selma Blair, she she was nominated for a Grammy for recording um, this book. So there's a joke in the movie, you know, there's a this influencer and she quotes the book, and you know this guy from the museum says like, uh, "I'm surprised you read the book." And she's like, "Of course I read the book. I did the audio book." Selma Blair's the narrator, and <laughs> it was amazing to have Selma Blair there just I love her from, from a million things and that she we sent her the movie we were looking for a host for this screening we sent her the movie she watched it over the weekend it came together very last minute and she thought it was hilarious she loved that she was in it um and she came out like she showed up last night in such a beautiful way um she introduced the two films she stood up during the Q and A to um, talk about her experience, you know, of being a Jewish child and being, you know, obsessed with the Holocaust. I mean, she was so funny and so generous. I, I just, um, I always hoped she would come to an event, you know, like when once the movie like was cut together and it was funny and that Selma Blair bit, and then there's a callback later to her. I always hoped and dreamed that I would be able to show it to her. She would come to something. So I was just, I couldn't believe it. Like it was all night. I was thinking about it. And she choked up. I think when she was talking that bit during the Q and a, like I'm watching her and she was two rows in front of me and I'm like, Oh, she caught her. I think she caught herself because she was choked up. She, she, she her feelings about the film and, and how profound it is. I think were sincere. Yeah, it was. She was, she, she was so lovely. So you're on cloud nine. I, I was like, I, I truly could not believe it. Mickey, have you daydreamed 
about what you would wear or what the night would be if you i mean have you allowed yourself to even think that uh, you're, you guys are shortlisted to what 15 films and it's going to get yeah so it's the 187 film short 187 live action short films qualified for the oscar of that 187 it was narrowed and voted down to 15. So now of these 15, five will get nominated on January 23rd. We'll find out live on TV along with everybody else. Geekscape us if you guys are in the voting committee, if anybody watching this, hearing this, <laughs> please uh, watch, the film. watch the film and then but vote on it. But like, um, have you allowed yourself to go beyond this short list and think about. I would be film? lying if I said I wasn't thinking about it 24 hours a day. Because <laughs> no one bought a suit. Okay. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. <laughs> no I'm kidding. Uh, I hope not. I'm kidding. Um, no, you better not be jinxing your boys over but, here. <laughs> but I'm very um, proud of him and Greg Sikowski. No, of My, course I. You know, of course we started I, a company this summer together, and and um, like yeah. I'm the one that didn't get. You know, I was the one not. I'm we, Greg. Noam and I started a company this summer, in the past year, and uh, and and now I am in business with two potential yeah. Oscar nominees. It would be. Um, I, it would be. Uh, I I can't even say it would be a dream come true because I never in a billion years uh imagine that but it would think be elizabeth uh, banks was going to call you back it, it's true i never thought i'd hear from elizabeth banks again um and and y'all did a q a thank god i was wrong recently as well. yes yeah. she was she was so she hosted a q a uh in december for us uh at a screening we did at the holocaust museum la no, she's an she's an incredible producer, actress, friend, um, Quaker, Penn Quaker, and Penn <laughs> alum. She, um, but anyway, we, um, yeah. Listen, it would be a, it would be a it would be a miracle. I would it would be incredible to be there. I, I mostly, I'm not thinking about like the parties and this. Like, I want to go to the like the Oscar luncheon that they have. Where I just want to meet everybody. Not 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 like I'm not not like celebrity. Want to meet that celebrity like. That that's not it. I I want to meet these filmmakers. Like when you have these short films and you're lucky enough to play some festivals, you meet you meet filmmakers and it's awesome. It's incredible. Like I I went to SCAD, the film festival in Savannah. Anne Frank gift shop played there, and there was like a filmmaker lounge that night, and I met Cord Jefferson who made this incredible wrote and directed this incredible film american fiction which is so funny and i was like so nervous he'd written on all these fancy tv shows and won an emmy for Watchmen. i was so nervous i was like cord i just want to introduce myself i love your film i saw it tonight it was amazing and he was like well, what do you that's the jeffrey wright movie yeah or not Je yeah yeah jeffrey wright. Not, not, yeah it's all it, i heard it's awesome it's yeah. so funny it's so 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 funny and he was like, what are you, you know, what are you doing here? I was like, oh, I have a short film. He's like, well, he was just so generous with his time. He was, I, listen, this business is so lonely and so crazy making. And you constantly feel like, who would want to watch my thing? Who, mm -hmm. who, why would somebody care? Who would watch this? Who would talk to me? Who would call me back? Why? I'm a loser. I'm, you know, it's like this business. All the time. You, All the time. This business will make you insane. And then you're at this thing this film festival and this guy you admire whose work you're uh, obsessed with is being so generous. It, it is, it's so welcoming. You can't, I, I just, that kindness and generosity. And I, I met Kelly Freeman Craig who did, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. She Which was I heard so, is great. it's so, oh my God, it's so good. And she was so kind. I just like, uh, Andrew on who, um, directed Fire Island. These are just heroes of mine. And I've met them at these events and these screenings. And I just can't, it's, it's the opposite of what this business does to 99% of the time. Um, well, Mickey, the, the feature film that you're going to direct next and write, yes. I'm just putting stuff out there. I'm putting yes. it out in the ether. I um, have a feature that I would really love to direct this year. Um, nothing like this. It's actually a thriller but I wrote it and I have a great producer and I would love to make it. I'm I'm just praying we get this Oscar nomination and that that helps us get some money 
and some actors, some fancy actors to make this movie. Um, I was fishing with nothing on the line. I was yeah. just assuming that you were going to have a feature written and yeah. potentially direct because you yeah. did such a kick-ass job on this one. So I have no prior knowledge of your intentions to do a yeah. feature or having written a feature. But uh, Mickey, if you need somebody there to do some behind the scenes. Oh, <laughs> no, I should be, so, be so lucky, just please. Support. Um, Mickey, I'm always rooting for you, man. You were so kind Thank to us, so Heidi and I on set. And Thank you, and you, Thank and you for being there. And um, amazing. Just caring about this little thing, you know, like it's amazing. The support is unbelievable. Well, that's what we built Geekscape for. Mm. It's now Deepscape, I think, for Jim there in New York. <laughs> um, and these are the conversations I love to have and share with you guys. So share this with your friends, subscribe, do all the things. Yeah. And of course, follow Mickey. He's on Instagram. That's where we DM each other. Yeah. And, um, and you can learn more about the Anne Frank gift shop. They also have an Instagram. Yes, the Instagram at the Anne Frank gift shop. You might want <laughs> Which to get that laugh, one back. I laugh. I'm like, I can't believe at the Anne Frank gift shop was available. Mm. Um, but I got they may, it. They may actually need the PR firm from the film. I promise I will give it back. Um, if they ask, <laughs> if they ask, they can have it back. Um, uh, Mickey, thank it. you for at least taking the time to talk Geekscape. With oh me. my God. Thank, thank uh, you. You're the best. Um, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, love you, man. We have our fingers crossed for you and Geekscape is, uh, cross your fingers as well for Mickey and gets the, that, uh, that nomination. Um, and, uh, much love. Come back anytime. Okay. Thank you. All right. Geekscape is, you can reach me on all the socials. You can find Geekscape on all the socials. Come talk to us over on the Facebook Geekscape forever group, all that stuff. And if you love this conversation, share it with your friends till next week over and out. Heidi made tacos. So I'm going to go eat some. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.